0: Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Two Indie Authors podcast
1: with me, Robert Enright and me, David B Lyons. On today's show, we have a wife and husband duo, Rob, who are whipping up a storm in the indie author scene. That's Matt Holmes and his very talented wife, Laurie Holmes. However, today we are going to be splitting them up because Matt will be our guest for the main talking point, detailing how he has mastered the art of marketing for his wife's wonderful books. And then the lady herself, historic mystery author Laurie Holmes, will be joining us later in the show to answer our dreaded seven questions. However, Rob, we shall begin this episode as we always do by discussing the week that was. So how have the last seven days been for you, my friend?
0: Um, They've been very good, David. A couple of caveats. First one is... is I'm having some work done in my house at the moment in my garage, which is on the other side of where I record this. Ah. But if there is any noise, <laughs> I will try my best to get rid of it during the edit. It could um... be coming
1: via my microphone as well because there's work going on at the neighbor. So um, apologies if there's any um, <laughs> disruption in um, yeah. noise quality this week.
0: Yes, we will do our best to limit it. Um, Secondly, other caveat, when we say we're splitting up Matt and Laurie Holmes, we do only mean figuratively for this podcast. Um, We are not offering any kind of relationship advice that could potentially cause any damage. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, my week's been good, David. Yes, obviously summer holidays now so um things just seem a little bit easier um in life yeah. even though my girlie's not at school just like uh, nursery runs and things like that but um writing wise been good cracking on with um the jack townsend book that's coming along nicely um i think i mentioned last week i had to do some rewrites so they're all in place and characters feel a little bit different now which is pretty good um i've got the cover of Sam pope 13 done nice and early because i haven't even started writing that so um i'll have that in the next few weeks and beyond having my garage which is being converted into my writing office which i'm very excited about Here's a nice little thing that happened, David. I got a nice big order on my website for some signed books the other day. Just pinged in my email. Yeah, so um, I think I mentioned it a few months ago. I think I updated my website and added a store to it. I've had the odd um, order here and there. Um, Nothing groundbreaking. Um, Yeah. But but I had a nice big one come in for like six, seven books um, in one go. So, um, yeah, that was just quite a nice little... Oh, what a nice little bonus. Yeah, um, nice little
1: bonus. And that yeah. they are books you have at home that you will sign and then per- personalise yeah. signage and then post them out to read them. Yeah, lovely. exactly, That's great.
0: Exa- exactly that. And and uh, the or, when you order the books, I make sure it covers the postage and package when they order the book itself. So um, there's quite a nice big profit margin for me on those. But yeah, no, just a nice little thing that popped up like in the last week. Um, how about yourself? How have you been doing?
1: good yeah yeah um i've got I, i've got a book coming out on the 24th so that's two weeks from today mm. as we're recording this and um i'm it's with the editors at the moment but i am um, i'm dying to scratch back into it I, I really want it back so i can um give it give it a clean draft i'm not overly happy with what i gave to the editors i mean in terms of plot and all i'm happy but in terms of um it being a clean manuscript that I gave. I don't think it was my cleanest. I was a bit rushed hmm. in the last few weeks. Um, but I mean I mean that's what editors are for. So yep. it should be clean when it comes back to me. I'll give it uh, another couple of reads. Because it's not it's not an eighty-eight, thousand word or you know, it's only twenty-six thousand these um Little uh, novellas that I'm doing, so I'll read that a couple of times, make sure it's as clean as it uh, my eye can see, and then you know yourself, um, like a robot at this stage, Rob, upload it um, onto a uh, MS or onto Amazon, and start rolling out the uh, teaser adverts and then the marketing campaigns. So, yeah, I'm a couple of weeks away from getting out that uh, novella. And nice. I'm also uh, like you. You said you're ahead now with your book design cover. Um, I'm in the midst of getting the next one designed, so I can hopefully put it in the back of this book as a link, and start playing that game uh, inspired by those who write in series such as yourself, and Mark Dawson, etc. So, um, I am yeah, I'm, I'm ahead of schedule. I'm enjoying it. Okay, Rob, it's time for the main talking point, And this is one I've been looking forward to for a couple of weeks. I've been trying to arrange this interview. We have on the line Matt Holmes or Matthew J. Holmes, as his website will attest. And Matthew is a marketing expert and so much so he has been marketing um, for Laurie Holmes, who is a fantastic author and just happens to be his wife. Matt, thanks so much for joining us this morning. It's a real pleasure to talk to you.
2: Thank you, David. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Looking forward to this.
1: Oh, cool, cool. So Laurie writes amazing books. I mean, we're going to have Laurie on um, in about a half an hour to answer our seven questions, but her books are fantastic. Um, how Did she start writing first, if you don't mind me asking, or did you have this idea in your head that I'm a marketing expert if you write books, I'll be able to sell them for you. What came first, the chicken or the egg? In that in that it scenario, was,
2: it was definitely Laurie with the, with the with the writing, as she'll talk to you about later on. Okay. Um, but yeah, she's she's always been um, an author at heart. Really, she used to write fan fiction, um, and then she came up with her own uh, story idea back in about two thousand and ten, two thousand and eleven. Um, it took a while to get to actually publishing it. Um, yeah, having the confidence to publish it as well, as she'll talk to you about and the challenges we've been through to get it published, but we got there in the end. But it's definitely Laurie who had the, the books first. And then I've run my own businesses. Um, well, I've never had a nine to five, so I've always run my own businesses. Ah, great. Um, and so I've got sort of some experience in terms of marketing. Um, but marketing books is very different to marketing a traditional business. Um, it's got its yeah. own sort of nuances, yeah. as you you can probably attest to. And yeah. um, so, I did have a, I had a video production company for a long time, but then when COVID hit in about twenty twenty yeah twenty twenty it was uh, that business crashed and burned um, because I was obviously going out and filming with people, and we couldn't we couldn't in- interact, couldn't mix with anybody. So that yeah. business crashed, and I had time on my hands, of course, because I had no business and. But then we also had twins arriving in about June of 2020. Um, oh, wow! So and this and then so we launched Laurie's book in April 2020, and we sort of had you know two months to to really get things moving um, where we had to wow. on our hands. Wow! <laughs> um, and so I sort of dive I dove right, right into the marketing of Laurie's books. Um, so I just Ooh. started with yeah started with Facebook ads and just started at ten pound a day or something like that um yeah. very low budget and just started finding my feet with it all and just self self support myself in terms of um all the targeting creating ads images so i had a lot of experience with photoshop so that wasn't too bad for me but yeah. it's more in terms of the copywriting um and then the targeting and then the intricacies of the facebook ads dashboard and yeah so just to absorb myself in facebook ads really um Incredible. So, yeah. Incredible. I
1: mean, um, all that success with twins coming along at the same yeah. time. What, what, what <laughs> yeah, a story. A a yeah. um, I should say, uh, for the sake of, of our listeners, Matt, an awful lot of them, um, they, they lack the confidence to, to really go and market their books and sell their books because mm-hmm. they just think marketing is this massive mountain that they have to climb and they they've never had any experience in marketing they don't know what an advert looks like um but the thing about it is as you can attest and and rob and i can as well we had no background in marketing uh really but it because it's also new age like if i had a background in marketing in early 2000s or the 1990s it's sort of insignificant to how you market today because it's, it's so new age so did you have to learn Facebook ads from scratch?
2: Yeah, it was from scratch. I, I dabbled with it before, but that was for a service business and I never really got into it. I never saw any results, really. I never got any traction, so I just sort of left it to a side. So I was essentially brand new to it really, apart from knowing a little bit about the layout of it and the structure, but essentially yeah, I was pretty much brand new. And uh, oh, yeah, I mean, so was, it was all, all very new.
0: Yeah, I think that's incredible, um, especially when we do, we exist in this um, this part of the book business where people have to do their own marketing. And like David said, so many people think it is this um, big you know, mountain to climb. So, like you said, you, you kind of went in there with 10 pounds a day. Could you kind of go into a bit more detail on <clears throat> sort of, what you had to focus on to kind of get to grips with Facebook marketing? Because obviously now you're seeing such good success with it. Like, how did you start that that journey?
2: Um, what I did back then is very different to what I'm doing now. I'll tell you that. Okay. Um, so at first, I was very, very focused. And for quite a few years, I was very focused on audiences, you know, detail targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and fast forward today, to today, which we can dive into later on, um, I don't do any targeting. I do zero targeting. Oh well, hold uh, on. Let's let's <laughs> dive let, let's dive into that
1: now. Then that while we're at it. So you don't do any targeting on Facebook ads. I do age, gender, and location. That's my only targeting. And so, is the idea, oh, wow. the concept of the Matt Holmes school of thought, is the Facebook algorithms will then find who the audience is.
2: Yes. So your ads ah. create their own audiences. So the content That's of your not. ads. If you think of when you post something organically on your feed, or you look at, you're just looking at your Facebook feed, your Instagram feed, all those organic posts. There's no targeting on those people. People put, they write an organic post, and the algorithm looks at the content of that organic post, and it knows who's interested in the content of that, and it puts that on your on your feed. So if you're interested in phishing, let's say you have a big interest in fishing, your your feed. Your Facebook feed, your Instagram feed, it's going to be full of phishing posts, but there's no targeting gone into that, into yeah. people, people who have written those posts, and it's the same algorithm that's, that's being used on the ads. So it's looking at the wow. content of the text, the headlines, what's in the image, any text in the image, the emotional um, response of any, If there's people in the image, it could be the emotional uh, features of, of the person in the image. So are they smiling? Are they sad? What's the mood of the uh, image itself? Um, what have um who has interacted with images very similar to this in the past. So it's looking at this. I think I heard that there's about ten thousand different data points the algorithm looks at on a single ad, um, to identify who to show that ad to. Right. Uh, so, wow. so
0: what you're saying is is the algorithm now on Facebook has in your from your experience of doing this, non-targeting ads, which even for me. And uh, probably for David, you know, I'd, I'd say we we do reasonably well with our Facebook ads. The mm-hmm. idea of not targeting a specific audience sounds yeah. mad to me. It does. It is mad. mad when you always... Yeah. Did no, you, 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 you do not think as you were doing it? I must be mad doing this. But like, yeah. I, I almost, mean, I
2: guess yeah, the,
0: the the the. the kind of magic behind Facebook, I say magic, maybe the evil behind Facebook and Meta and Amazon (laughs) and the likes are that they don't share what this algorithm is. That's, you know, that's their bread and butter, isn't it? That's why we have to pay to play because they're in control of it. So what you're kind of alluding to there is that the algorithm is so kind of advanced now that it can pick your perfect audience for you without you having to predetermine it.
2: Yeah, I haven't I haven't done any detailed targeting in twenty twenty three so far. Okay, so my question there, Matt, this is fascinating, this is blowing my mind,
1: right? So so you you concentrate heavily on an image, I'm sure.
2: Yes, because that's what stops the scroll. Yeah,
1: that's what, and and your own sales copy. Then it will be on the top of Laurie's ads. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're put, you, you're, so you're concentrating on the image, you're concentrating on the copy. Um, there's a slight bit of um, audience control that you may go you know, yeah. gender or age. Yeah, but then no detailed targeting. So yeah. I can't imagine that that ad will work straight away. Is it going to take a couple of weeks or four weeks, perhaps, for Amazon or for the Facebook algorithm to kick in?
2: It's definitely a little bit slower than using traditional, than the traditional detail targeting. Okay. Because you're not giving it any direction. Yeah. Um, so it tends to take between sort of three to seven days, something like that, to really of oh. get going. So not too um, bad. No, it's it's not it's not uh, you know weeks and weeks and weeks. However, I would say that if if you go down this route that you need to really commit to it, it can be very, very tempting to think, this isn't working, I'm scrapping this. Um, It's very, very tempting because the results aren't there as quickly as using detailed targeting. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reason that I switched to it was because the detailed targeting that I've been using since 2020, towards the end of 2022, uh, the Facebook ads just plummeted. And I thought, what on earth Mm. is going on here? So I tried more and more audiences. I tried... Um, more and more ads. I tried more and more budget. I tried, I just tried hacking the algorithm essentially with all sorts of different cost caps and all these types of things. Nothing worked. So I I came across um, this thing called broad targeting. Um, So I thought, oh, it's a last resort. Let's just do it. Ah. Um, I was just at my wits end thinking nothing's working here. So I've got to try Hmm. something completely new. Um, So I scrapped all the detailed targeting, just went age, gender, location. Um, and then it just took off and it just went. It just the, the ranks started climbing again. The royalties started climbing again. Um, costs went down on the Facebook ad side of things, so CPCs went down, CPMS came down, um, click through rates went up. So everything just started improving. And then it, have, it was having you know an incremental, uh, incremental sort of impact on the entire business essentially, of all our royalties. So it, it was a knock on effect. So as I'm sure you guys know, it's not just about the attribution of the, of the Facebook ads themselves. It's about what they do after. So mm. someone might click on a Facebook ad, but not buy there and then. And they get an email from Amazon a few days later. And that generates the sale of the book. They remind, Amazon remind them of the book they looked at. But Your Facebook ad's not going to get the attribution. It's going to be the email from Amazon that gets it. We can't see that data, of course, but there's a lot there's a lot going on in terms of organic reach and organic sales that isn't attributed to the Facebook ads directly, but the Facebook ads are responsible for them. Um, so you've got to think sort of bigger picture than just the attribution of the Facebook ads.
1: Matt, I love that you said that um, uh, because w- we we have we have guests on this show every week and uh, we liaise with authors all the time and there's just way too many short tempered. Um, authors um, out there, me included, who just look at the black and whiteness of an ad, yeah, they yeah. go, "I'm spending twenty pounds on this ad; it's only earned me fifteen pounds in royalties." I'm cutting it off. But what you're saying, Matt, and this—I want every listener now—turn the volume up here. Um, somebody has clicked into one of Laurie's ads that you've put out for her. They mm-hmm. haven't bought there and then, but they thought, "Oh, this looks good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, we would see." They've logged off. Two two weeks later, Amazon selling them a an email reminding them, You looked at this book a couple of weeks ago. You're interested in buying it, they buy it then, but that doesn't um go into the statistics in terms of your advertising.
2: No. No.
1: So it's 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 really um it's brand awareness, isn't it? A lot. It's so you're brand you're, yeah, you're yeah. putting Laurie's uh, um books in front of people, they may yeah. not buy there and then, but they could come back ten days later or so and yeah. then purchase.
2: Exactly. That's right. Yeah. And then there's also word of mouth marketing as well. We get a lot of comments in the ads of people tagging their friends and that sort of thing. Yeah. So they may not click on the ad to go and buy the book. They may go into Amazon and search for it. And again, that's not attributed back to the Facebook ad, even though it's Facebook ad that was responsible for it. So there's all sorts of different things going on in the background that aren't attributed back to that specific Facebook ad. Right
0: i think that's that's a really really good point to make and um yeah. I, I have conversations with um with friends of this show who you know we talk off we talk offline and you know we all discuss tips and we we you know we pay, pay as much as you can forward and um, one of the things i even said to someone recently was trying to do it almost like attributing a daily sale to a daily click that type of minutia, of the detail just Just doesn't work. It doesn't work, A, logically, or B, for your mental health, because you're trying to kind of pinpoint data points that just aren't there, which is why I've always kind of looked holistically at I'm spending this much. Okay, if I go weekly, I'm spending this much a week and I'm making this much a week. Now, I was in a fortunate position where I had to turn my ads off for a period of time and I could then measure what my read through was. And it turned out, yeah, it was a good decision to. Keep writing the series because the read through was there. Yeah. So, looking at it that way was really good. um While we're talking kind of about data points and, and things like that, what has been, I don't know if you've, you, you may have done this analysis or not, but what's like sort of the like difference cost per click wise? And we're not asking for budgets or, or anything like that, but just from when you were doing targeting and say like the number mm-hmm. of ads you were running to sort of the return on investment and stuff like that to doing it with this broad targeting do you you have that stuff to hand
2: yeah the the cost per clicks were marginally higher they were now we're about 10 12 pence a click Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. which isn't it's not um really low but then the the detail targeting was about 15 to 20 so it's very very minor yeah Uh, but then i would find that. There were definitely more instances with the detail targeting where cost per clicks would spike, and also there's a lot of other issues I've come across um, looking back at the detail targeting. So scaling um, can be very difficult. Uh, the ads can um, sort of die a lot quicker, mm-hmm. um, and you can you can sort of uh, burn out your audience a lot quicker. Do your, your the, the, the stability and the volatility of detailed targeting I found was much more up and down, up and down, and I find broad targeting much more stable. Um, so, detailed targeting audiences will just die over time, uh, whereas broad targeting, they just get better and better and better because you're not mm-hmm. sort of limiting that audience. So, because the mm. the ads create their own audiences, Facebook creates an audience of people um, for that ad. And when you layer on detailed targeting, you're saying all these people here. You're not allowed to target any of them. You're allowed to target this little slither of them because that's what I'm putting my detailed targeting. Right. So all these people here that would be a great fit for your ad, but you are not allowed on Facebook to target them because you've limited them to who they can actually show that ad to with the detailed targeting. Um, that so that, can, that yeah. can really increase your that can really increase your costs. Um, and in terms of the the, the budgets, um, we're spending about three hundred to three hundred fifty dollars a day now mm-hmm. um and before we were spending that but our but we weren't making quite as much in terms of overall the overall royalties yeah as mm-hmm. high um and when we wanted to do a when we had a launch or a promotion on and i wanted to scale the ads up the ads would just die um whereas now mm-hmm. i can scale things up quite easily and the ads are the ads they just get better and better um so I used, I don't know if you you guys, do you use uh do you set the budget to the ad set level or the campaign level? How do you set your budgets in your Facebook
1: ads? A- ad set for me. Ad set. Is yeah. that where yeah. you do it, Rob? So, yeah, ad set, yeah. yeah
2: ad set. Okay. Is that is that what you do, Matt? No, I set it at the campaign level. okay, that's interesting. I don't so, I don't think yeah. I'm
1: given an option to set the budget at campaign level, am I? You should be, yeah. It's uh, called
2: advantage plus campaign. It used to be called oh, yeah. um yeah. Used to be called campaign budget optimization. The CBO. Um, But now they've changed all the branding to Advantage Plus. Um, They need to stop doing that. So, (laughs) you don't know. The capacity to
0: learn new things is is dwindling by the day.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they just keep changing stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. And adding new options. And yeah. So, when you set the budget at the campaign level, you're giving Facebook the. The range, essentially, on where to spend that budget. Ah. Whereas, with the, at the ad set level, you're forcing budget into something that may or may not work. Whereas, when you set up um. the campaign level, you're allowing Facebook to decide what's working and put budget into that. And if something isn't working, then it's not going to put budget into that. Right. Um, so, I found that I'm much more sustainable to do it that way. It, it's a bit scary. I'll give it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, letting Facebook is, yeah. have complete control over where that budget's spent because it's basing it on. Because we're running traffic campaigns, we can't put a pixel, of course, on uh, on Amazon. Yeah, a Facebook yes. pixel to to track to sort of essentially allow Facebook to talk to Amazon. We can't do that, mm-hmm. so we're using the traffic objective. Which I'm sure you guys are as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So what it's doing is it, it's it's pushing money to where the. Uh, the ads that have the most engagement. So where the people that are resonating most with them, who are resonating with the ads most. So if you have three ad sets, for example, um, and one of the ad sets has got ads in that's actually getting a lot of engagement, it's going to push more budget there to the ones that don't. Um, So the way I sort of address um, and analyze which ads are working, which ads aren't, is where the budget's being spent. So if one... Mm. Uh, set has $100 of spend, and one has $10 of spend a day, and if and it continues that uh, rhythm over a week, I know that the one that's had $10 a day is a rubbish ad. Right. Yes. Wow. Providing, but there's a bit of a caveat there. You providing that you are seeing conversions on on that ad that's getting all the budget. Yeah, um, yeah I do occasionally get the old Trojan horse ad that gets a lot of spends, has got great clicks and cost per clicks, great click through rates. But there's you know one or two sales in a week over five hundred dollars are spend. Yeah. Um, so you got to be got to be wary of that as well. But in most cases, where the budget goes, those are the ads that are actually getting the sales. Yeah, I find that myself. An awful lot of the uh, data that Facebook
1: gives us, and it's quite detailed data on um, on the ads platform. It's it can sort of be by the by. I can have ads that I'm getting six p clicks for. Um, yeah. because yeah. I'm putting such a striking image in there, it, doesn't, it the image <laughs> won't say this is the book, by the way, like the copy will really, if you read it, but they get a lot of clicks. And then I might have ads where it's costing me 23p a click, but I'm getting many more sales from there, and um, But if I was to just judge by the data that Facebook gives me, I would have shut down the popular ad and That's kept the kept exactly. good one or that looks good by the data uh, running that isn't really giving me much sales. Uh, uh, you're opening my eyes here now because I, uh-huh. I thought I had Facebook ads sorted, but there was a point two or three years ago, Matt, where I was earning 300% my spend. So if I spent £100 um, a day, I'd get £300 back. It, that's really rained back now. That's come down. I think the iOS update had a big impact on so my Facebook um, sales. I'll, I'll I'll ask you about that in a second. But now I'm down to sort of like 1, 1. 1.8, 180% or 190%. It's not at its height. That it was maybe a couple of years ago so did, did you notice the ios update really played havoc with the facebook
2: ads yeah there was definitely a, a slump then yeah um and i think people are still feeling it a bit now because i think it depends on privacy settings of browsers and phones and things but when you click on an ad some some, some people get a you're leaving facebook type of warning thing um they get a sort of interim message between the ad and the landing page Yeah, um it's sort of a bit of a warning It it can just fly. It can just jump a bit of a red flag for people, so that can have a bit of an impact. um, Yeah, on your actual landing page views in terms of people actually getting to your book product page on Amazon, depending on and compared that to who how many people click on it. Um, So there's still a bit of. uh, It's it's definitely not as bad as it was initially. It was it was made out to be a very very big scary thing. Yeah, it was bad initially, but it's it's definitely got a lot better since Um, and. In terms of you know, if you were selling direct, then there's there was obviously a big issue there in terms of attribution back to ads and how ads were performing. And but Facebook have you know in terms of how many ads, how many sales, sorry, ads generated and how many add to carts. If you were selling direct on your own website, that was that was the really big issue there for, for a lot of Facebook advertisers because Apple essentially blocked that connection between the websites almost. And but Facebook have now come up with a new way to to sort of track the. Performance of your ads in terms of sales, ad to carts, et cetera. But that doesn't really affect authors who are selling on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, et cetera. It's mean, more the ones that selling direct. It's, it's, it's one of this, like David said, this is so eye opening. Um,
0: And I want to take you back to uh, what you were talking about the, the audience of a broad ad and how it kept growing and growing. And I think if I'm honest now, I think I remember you posted something in the Two Indie Authors Facebook group about this broad marketing. I'll be perfectly honest with you, Matt. I read it and I was like, I don't agree with that. <laughs> I think you should be targeting your ads. But the way the way you've <laughs> described the notion of the audience and then you're basically putting a, a funnel in it and by targeting. And I guess the it's a mindset thing. I think we're we're told this is how you should Facebook market because this is how it's been. But obviously the changes in technology and the algorithms and stuff like that is you're proving mm-hmm. that that might not be the case. So would you say that doing this broad marketing, like you said, it, it allows it to grow and grow. Some of the issues I have, I have an ad that's been going probably for over 18 months now, and it's got old creative on it. And I say old, it's not branded creative. It's got my covers on it. but I don't turn it off because it's still performing relatively well. It's got lots of social proof, yeah. but I keep getting the thing flagged by Facebook, which is creative fatigue because I think too many people mm-hmm. might have seen the same image. Is this a type of thing that won't yeah. be an issue if you do the broad targeting because you're not, I guess you're not retargeting the same people, are you? It's just going to keep growing and growing.
2: Yeah, there's a- it depends on the, the content of your ads. So you, can, you can sort of create ads that get a bit more... They, they're shown to the same person a couple of times. Yeah. Um, if you look at your frequency column, if, if your frequency is over 1.00, you are retargeting, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it might be like 1.12, 1.14, or something like that. Um, but the in terms of the actual... Uh, Add, you know, add, add fatigue, and yeah, as you're saying, creative limited or creative fatigue. Um, I haven't had that once since I've used broad targeting. Oh, wow, that's um, good. So, yeah, um, and I've no, I haven't had learning limited or anything like that mm. since. So it's, which is another warning that can flag up sometimes um, yeah. with with detailed targeting. So, and the other thing I haven't mentioned yet actually is. Um, I use dynamic creative to test my ads. Um, yeah. Have you guys tested that at all? Yes.
1: Yes, it does work. Yep. Yeah. I think that's definitely a benefit yeah. of Facebook. Yeah. Facebook have introduced. Yeah.
2: So that, that also helps things as well. So what I do is I run two dynamic creative tests a week. So I call them DCTs. Um, so there I've got two ad sets running for those and they've each testing a different sort of concept, if you like. Um, and then I have another ad set that's always on, which is like my main ad set for scaling. And I take the winning DCTs, the winning combination of text, image, headline, and move that into my main ad set for scaling. So then wow. I have – and then once I get past a week, I turn off the, the, the DCTs and launch some new ones. So you essentially need to keep feeding the algorithm um, new, new ads each week or every other week. Um, depends on your budget. Obviously, you're only spending 10 15 $20 a day. You don't need to be feeding it as much yeah. as if you're spending a few hundred dollars a day. Brilliant. Yeah. That's that's um, fascinating. I I uh, I could talk
1: to you from another hour, Matt. Um <laughs> but we, we, we have a really good author waiting on us in the wings uh, for our seven <laughs> questions. But just before I let you go, I think our listeners will be cross with me and Robert if we didn't um pose you on this. You've gone into great detail in the last twenty mm. or so minutes on um on the audience but in terms of the creative of ads that um you um have uh, concocted for Laurie's books tell our listeners what's the most important we've got image we've got copy and then we've got that headline down the mm-hmm. bottom how do you implement these three elements in Laurie's ads
2: okay so the image is always most important that's the first thing that's going to stop the scroll mm-hmm. and there's been lots of eye tracking um, experiments and things done ah. so it's the image that stops the scroll, and then the eyes go to the headline. Oh, okay. And that needs to provide some context for the image. And then the eyes seem to go to the primary text next. And that's what's got to sort of entice the click, essentially. So you go image, headline, and then primary text. What's a good headline? What's
1: a good headline in a Facebook ad?
2: If good headlines can be, all i found work really well is review quotes. Just yeah. really short, I use sharp, review Review quotes, quotes yeah, review quotes. Yeah, mm-hmm. great. And then if you've got an offer on like 99p until... June the 17th or something like that that can work really well a bit of scarcity um and then also if you, you can also work in somehow you could, you could use it with reviews if you've got a good review that mentions the genre of the book as well yeah you know um brilliant fantasy series or something along those lines that's another way to sort of attract your audience in terms of you know catching the eye of people but also helping the algorithm mm-hmm. to um identify people who are interested in fantasy because he's going to look at the words you use in your ad to create that audience. And if you can word use words that are associated with a, with a genre or tropes of that genre, things like that, or other authors, um, well-known traditionally published authors who are in that genre, that can all help to build the audience from that ad. That's amazing.
1: Rob, Rob I'm mm-hmm. sure would agree with me. We, we, could, we could absolutely do um, a whole month of uh, interviews <laughs> with you, <laughs> matt um if our <laughs> listeners are uh loving the sound of what you're saying as much as we are matthewjholmes.com. matt is willing oh. to help out you in the orders and um have a chat with you you can email That's him amazing. and he will give you more information than he has given us over the last half hour or so matt thank you so much for giving us up your time this morning
2: no, thank you, David. Thank you, Rob. I just want to say also there's, if you go to, to my website there, there's also a, th- a free three-part training video series that walks you through my strategy in a lot more detail. Oh, wow. Um, so you can just go and sign up there. It's sign up to my newsletter, and then you get a free three-day um, video series that walks you through. And
1: it that's on the URL I've just given out,
2: yes. oh, yeah. com. And, yeah, that, right, and on the other
1: it. yeah. one with two T's and then H O L M E S. Thanks a million, Matt. The
2: Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Rob. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you so much. During the others.
0: mail back, mail back. Oh, it's the middle of the show. Mail back, mail back. Is there something you want Christ. to know? I don't know why my books won't fly it makes me sad being published don't bother me
1: anyway wow robert i did not think it was possible i could hate that song anymore <laughs> oh, but there you go, David. I'm full of surprises, if not talent. <laughs> yes, you are uh, you've been watching Frozen this week, then with the little one.
0: Oh no, it's just a constant theme in my head from the millions of times that I've seen it. Um, but yes, there we go. It is David, time for the mailbag, and we had a question sent in to our To Indie Authors Facebook group. So if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't joined our community on Facebook, please do. It's growing every week and we have a lot of good discussions in there and a lot of good questions. And this question came up, David, and we thought it'd be worth a slightly longer discussion than just an answer on our Facebook group. And that was sent in Mm -hmm. by Stephanie Rogers. And she said, Has anyone here tried Amazon lock screen ads? If you have, would you say they
1: were worth it And would you recommend them? Ah, okay. Thanks, Stephanie. Lock screen ads. So yeah, this is something you can do uh, via AMS. Uh, Uh Although AMS, I think, has new branding and a new name now, but I'm not quite up to date. with. But um, yes, lock screen ads are ads where you literally just your um, book cover appears on the screen of those you target um, while they're opening their Kindle. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a good uh, marketing place to be literally on the Kindle of uh, your potential readers. So it seems like prime real estate. But um, have I tried them? I have. I haven't had great success with them. Uh, I think I mentioned this in the show last week. My agent once said to me that my America books look premium in terms of the covers. Mm -hmm. So I tried in the middle of middle America as a lock screen ad and i think it had like um 350 views or something like that it appeared on 350 kindles but only sold three so that's what 3% or so mm-hmm. or even less than 3% so it was very slow um and i i don't I, and it wasn't really profitable for me that said it is something i would like to explore more and the reason i'd like to explore it more is because it is prime real estate yeah appearing on people's Kindles. And there's something to be said. I think we probably say this throughout the shows. If we don't say it directly, we certainly infer to it. um, That the more you can just get your books or your branding and your Mm -hmm. covers in front of people who shop on Amazon and Amazon Kindle, the better it is. So although 350 people saw my book cover and only three people bought it. Now, if that was an AMS ad or a Facebook ad, I would deem it a failure and shut it down. But there's there's a part of me that thinks because it's such prime real estate, it's it's giving its brand awareness mm. more so than just um a sales marketing technique. So people will, you know, continuously see, oh, David B. Lyons, David B. Lyons, David B. Lyons. And it's so it's more brand awareness than that, than um a Facebook ad, which I just want sales from. So Stephanie, again, I've tested it. Like I recommend we test everything. Rob and I are always going on about how much you test. So test it out for yourself and see what happens. But I would have to say, from my experience, like AMS ads, it's a real slow burner. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's not a test like a Facebook ad where you can find out in 10 or 20 days that it's working or not working. So, um, yeah, test it out and see if it works for you, Stephanie. Uh, Rob, have you tried them at all?
0: I have um I think I tried them kind of in the infancy of my indie author career. Um and obviously I I kind of back myself now to understand how to advertise my books. Um mm-hmm. my branding's pretty good. Um I think it leans heavily into what you said But it's like isn't it the seven um things of my, seven points of marketing or something if you see something seven times it then sticks in your head something like that. So yes. I think, I think if you look at it like holistically They probably work because, again, I have ads running on um, Amazon, I think I've mentioned this, that are on my actual sales page. Like at the top, the branding ones, Um, they actually probably lose me money just on the clicks to sale ratio there. But they probably make money in the long run because of my read through and stuff. So um, until you can connect everything up properly it's going to be really hard to ever be able to do that and i don't think the amazon attribution stuff really um massively helps It doesn't help with those anyway because that's for stuff outside of it but lock screen ads i tried them they cost me money they didn't have um massive impact on me i might go back to them i'm not sure but i think like david said there's only one way really to find out and that is david
1: test 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 two in the author. Okay, Rob, it is time for our favourite part of the show. It's the seven questions, and we are not travelling far from where we've just been. Uh, we've got Matt's amazing historic – it's a historic mystery um,
3: books. Is that correct, Laurie? Well, they're, they're a bit hard to uh, pigeonhole into any one genre, really. They're, I've never wrote to market. Um, so you could call them prehistoric fiction with a bit of a twist.
0: Nice, uh, right, oh, oh, um,
3: you, you could sort of think of them as James Cameron's avatar meets kind of the cave bear. Um, uh-huh. um but, Oh, uh, you're winning. Yeah. They came about oh, quite a few years ago now from a, a um, throwaway comment my mum made, which was <laughs> what could the human race have become uh, if we'd just followed a spiritual path rather than a technological one? Oh, and, Fascinating. Um, so from there my two main characters were born. Um one was I knew one was a female who was going to be of a species that had rejected technology and had a spiritual connection to the energies of the earth. And uh you, they could influence animals and plants to, to um for anything, any any of their needs. Mm. And and then my male character was going to be half of what she was but half plain, ordinary human. But Ah. he was despised by her species, um, which were very xenophobic. Um, Wow. But for the (laughs) longest time... Wow. But for the longest time... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's how it came about. But um, for the longest time, I just didn't have a setting. Uh, I played around with a few things and nothing seemed to work. So just sitting in a pool of (laughs) light, surrounded by blackness and... This was in about 2008, and it wasn't until 2011. I was sitting in Matt's car. uh, He'd gone off to do an errand, and I was just out of interest reading um, an article on how uh, homo sapiens and Neanderthals interbred um, Ah. and how their DNA is still present in our genome now. Um, And then all of a sudden, bang, everything just fell Smack bang into place, oh, and this like, icy world just swept out around my two characters. Wow! And um, but I just needed it to be at a time when uh, our you know, uh, human cousins like Neanderthals and the, the Denisovians were going extinct, which placed it around 40,000 years ago. And it took off from there, and I was really excited because <laughs> I'd never heard of or read another prehistoric novel, and I thought, oh, this is gonna be utterly unique. And then yeah. I realized how um, naive that was, because as soon as I published mine, I, of course, I found out about uh, Gino's uh, children series and Clan of the Caveman, right. <laughs> which it gets compared to a lot. Well, that's uh, good
1: because it, sh- it, it proves does, that the audience is there for it. It
3: does. It, it does. It, um, for your
1: books. And they have. To, I have to say, they look amazing. amazing. The, the the covers are just fantastic. So um, check out Laurie's books. It's LaurieHolmes.com. Mm-hmm. Um, H-O-L-M-E-S, um, Forbidden, I believe. The Forbidden is the, book, the first
3: book, yes.
1: Okay, they they look, I mean, they look amazing. But we've got to get you to answer these seven questions, Laurie. Are you ready? I am. Yeah, are ready. Sounds good to me. Let's <laughs> go with question number one, Laurie. Um, it is, as it always is, are you a full-time author?
3: I am. Uh, I'm really lucky to be able to call myself that. Mm. Uh, I used to work. In a hospital uh, in my previous carnation, I worked in the operating theatres and then as a medical secretary, but it was when me and Matt got married and we were on our honeymoon and talking about the future. Uh, I'd always wanted to be an author and I'd been tinkering with my first book, uh, which has now become the second book in the series. Uh, Matt just sort of said, let's go for it. Um, right. his, his business at the time was making enough money that if I stopped working, Taken into account the savings that would with fuel and food and right. getting the dogs walked, um, we could do it. Um, so we went from there, and I wrote Daughter Nimba, and we put that out to publishers. The Daughter Nimba is the second book in the series, but that was the first one I worked on, um, and uh, we've got a deal with um, one of these hybrid um, publishers. Yeah. But after six months, we signed all the deals and everything. And after six months, I turned around and said, oh, we, we, don't, we can't take on a project this big. And it fell through, and that really it was a kick in the gut. Um, but then it was like, do we go for more publishers or do we go self-published? And we went self-published. We found Nick Stevenson through Joanna Penn and learned about Leader Magnets. And um, then I wrote The Forbidden as a free prequel. begin with right um so um and uh how many many books are in the series now there's four books in the main series the original series it was originally supposed to be a trilogy but then i wrote the forbidden and so it became a four book series when that when we added that into the series main rather than it being a lost leader um leader magnet uh, sorry I wrote it to be a you know, full-length novel fantastic um, um so sorry it's incredible
0: it's always amazing to hear people being full-time independent authors i think it's a, re- a really good banging of the drum for our listeners who are striving to to get there um, another big question that um all us indie authors face which is when it comes to our ebooks are you wide or are you exclusive with amazon
3: uh, we're exclusive with Amazon for the ebooks and and uh, the audio books, which are published through Podium Audio. They're exclusive to Audible. Um, it's just it worked for us in the fact that uh, with the Kindle Unlimited page reads, it makes up over half of our income. So it, it just paid to be, be in there. But we've just started to play around with um, selling our, um, well, the the books the print copies um direct through a shopify store and uh, we're seeing how that goes so if that that does well we might um risk it and to pull them out of um ku and and a trial selling the ebooks direct as well and see how that goes if not we can always re-enroll them it's it's worth the risk.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Worth a test. It really is. And then you got all the tests you guys seem to be undergoing uh, are paying off to great success. Um... Question three, Laurie, is can you name for our listeners the one service you use as an independent author that you cannot do without? You're you're not going to say your husband, are you? Uh,
3: I could do, but you've already heard from him. Um,
1: Yeah, he's had um, enough exposure now. He's
3: wonderful. (laughs) Um, Right, I would have to, there's lots of them, but I would have to pick uh, my book cover designers, uh, De Monza, who are a company in New Zealand. You just can't do without book covers. I mean, when we first um, initially, tensively published when Forbidden was still a novella, we got some book covers done and we thought they were great at the time, but then we went to De Monza and wow, Mm, the difference a book cover makes the sales and everything. So I would say that was the one service that that turn things around yeah I, Great answer. I
0: i i agree massively when it comes to the covers if there's something the, the two yeah. things you need to spend a lot of ma- well have to invest in is your editor and your book cover because without those two things you are going to just set yourself up for a, a failure i think uh, so was it was the name of the company well, did you say Uh, De Monza.
1: De Monza. Okay. Uh, Dare I say it, if you don't invest in those two things and your book covers don't look great and your editing isn't on point, you really are assisting the stigma of self-publishing. Yes, you are. If if you've got this half-baked cover it's not working it really isn't so i I love that answer that's a great answer to that question brilliant brilliant
0: answer um which moves us on to question number four now this is usually the question that we ask our, our guests where we say you know this is what people always want to know about because this is the million dollar question however we have just had your husband on the show for half an hour talking about how he markets your books however I still want to ask <laughs> yes. you how you market your books because is there anything you do the outside of matt doing all of the advertising is there any things that you do yourself for is there any other strategies you have in place
3: um i, I, I really I, it's probably just nurturing the relationship with my readers answering um yeah. my uh the, the people who respond to my autoresponder and my newsletter um and just replying to my emails replying to my facebook comments any questions um and just just being personable yeah. and, and and yeah coming coming across as human and and uh, not an untouchable author and people can relate to you and, and things like that and just uh, yeah building a relationship with my readers really yeah. Uh, but I do hope once once the pressure's off with writing my books, to step into more of a marketing role with Matt as well and and learn those ropes and take a bit of pressure off him. Mm. Uh, it yeah. would be handy. Another good answer there. It, ca- it
1: just cannot be underappreciated how much being human uh, with your mm-hmm. readers and cultivating that sort of uh, relationship with them really helps because if somebody is getting messages from you on Facebook or you're replying to their emails, they're buying every book. Uh-huh. That you put out there, do you know what I mean? So it really is a, a massive marketing tool, and it costs nothing but a few minutes of your time. So that's another great answer to another good question, Laurie. Thanks very much. Um, I, I think you mentioned earlier on that it was two thousand and eight when the the ideas for these books sort of started forming in your head. Um, so this will be an interesting answer as well. Question five is: What's the one thing you know now that you wish you had known from the outset?
3: <laughs> uh... <laughs> I think it would be um, don't set your pre-order orders up too early. I have to say, right? We've, we've, we've been doing that, um, and because uh, the writing process, as you know, is is just not push button, is it? You'll get writer's block. Uh, you'll procrastinate. I'm terrible. Me too. Um, yeah. So you've got this pre-order coming up, and you think you've got three months left, and you go right hundred thousand words and then it's panic stations and you pull some all-nighters. So for me, at least for a writer, I would not put the pre-orders up until after the books have come back from the editors and and, uh, uh, putting the the pre-orders up so far ahead does build up a lot of of pre-orders, but you just put a lot of pressure on yourself to get those books done and there's so much that comes up in the writing process it's it's just not a set thing so i would not going forward now i'm not going to put pre-orders up until the books are back from the editors yeah i
0: I think that's a fascinating answer because i'll be perfectly honest with you lori i'm like complete opposite um because that's just (laughs) this is this is how the creative process is so different and it's so unique for everyone but i I think yes. I've said on the yes. show before, I actually like book in my editor who's really busy, so they can't kind of um miss the deadline. I'll have to put it back by a few yes. months probably. So I book her in way before I've even like got anywhere near to finishing the book. So I know I've got a hard deadline. And because I then know I have a hard deadline, uh-huh. I then put my pre order up knowing I have to hit that deadline. But for me, I kind of thrive under that because it gets my ass down in the yeah. seat, and I'll make my way.
3: Yeah. Well, it does for me as well, actually. <laughs> it does. It does give you a kick up the backside, and make, makes you do it, but. Oh, it's been hell on earth the last the last couple of books with the kids and and everything and yeah, uh, and, and yeah life it's, isn't uh, it? pressure we haven't needed. Is, life yeah, life can hard.
0: always get in the way. And also, I'll be perfectly honest, I don't write a hundred thousand word prehistoric interesting. I write seventy five thousand action. <laughs> you know, probably a bit easier to a bit easier on my mind to
1: write them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but Rob, you, you're an anomaly. You're. It's, it's... After speaking to lots of authors over the years, the discipline in Rob is is not normal. He's very, very good. Whereas I'm a bit like you, Laurie. Um, I can have weeks where I'll put down yes. 20,000 words or so and I go, yes. oh, great. I'm in the flow. And then I could, go, I could go three or four weeks without writing anything. I just think, no, that's that's right. my head's
3: not in it. Yeah, so, it's like... You're not getting a tater out of me. Who's my brain at the,
1: at the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is individualistic, <laughs> it, definitely. But most things yeah, are yeah. in the creative Yeah, I think, and I yeah. think that's.
0: I just wanted to highlight that there because I think that's a fascinating answer. That that what I see is like uh, something I look for. You find as something you you, you wouldn't want to do. So um, it leads on quite yeah. nicely to question number six because um, this is always a really interesting one. With what's your biggest frustration as an independent author?
3: oh well right now the thing that's frustrating me most is the layout of the series itself from a t- storyteller's point of view ah. um, i wish i'd have known from the start how it was all going to go now i'm writing a, a second trilogy um because I, I i initially thought of the three books the ancestors saga but as I said in my previous question, I then wrote The Forbidden as a prequel uh, leader magnet. But then that became book one, so it became a four book series. And then at the end of that, I planned uh, like a, a side novel telling uh, my male character's backstory. But that has now become a trilogy as well, ah. which I'm currently writing. So now I wish I had done two trilogies and The Forbidden was a prequel on its own that would that would work nicely as a prequel to both mm-hmm. trilogies. Uh, you could read The Forbidden and then read the second trilogy. You could read The Forbidden and read the original trilogy and then put them all under the umbrella of the Ancestor Saga. And that's what's frustrating me at the moment is I didn't plan that from the start. It's sort of grown organically now. I can't go back and change it. Plus, from a marketing point of view, from everything we read, um, prequels don't market very well. So um, that's just how it ended up being. But from a storyteller's point of view, that frustrates me a lot.
1: Yeah, I can understand yeah. that. Yeah, I'm the same myself. So, but those seeds, it's really where our creativity grows from, isn't it? And whatever direction mm-hmm. it goes in, it, 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 it it's just good to follow the creative, even yeah. if it is frustrating. But. I mean, we could be answering phone calls from nine to five in a call center, if you know what I mean. So yeah. it's, it's 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 a good frustration to have it is. in a way. Um, well, well, you're nearly at the very end, Laurie. You told us at the start you were a little bit nervous, but you've been absolutely oh, yeah. fantastic at these. Um, well, six questions Thank so far. You. And you might fluff it on the last one. Which, uh... <laughs> um, Laurie, <laughs> you and Matt have been amazing um, over the past hour speaking to you both. <laughs> And I I think this is a good summation of um, the fantastic advice you've given us all. But what is the one piece of advice you would pass on to our fellow in the authors who are listening here today?
3: Um, Well, it would be to writers like myself, who might not be very fast, is don't lose heart thinking you've got to churn out loads of books per year to make a living as an author. It can be done with just a handful of books. I mean, I, I know that was what got me down a few times while I was starting out, thinking, "Oh God, I've got to write at least twenty books before I can make any sort of living." and I'm not that fast, yeah. but within four books, um, I'm, I'm glad to say, I'm, you know, they earn, um, you know, a, I'm a six-figure author a year now Fantastic. on just four books. So it, it can be done. And you've, you've just put your heart and soul into that one idea you've got and make it, you know, polish every detail, take your readers into that world. And just, it's just quality over quantity. You just cannot stress that enough, make edit them, get them the book covers they deserve so they can stand up against the, you know, the big boys out there. And you know, it, it is, it is definitely quality over quantity and you, you can do it in just a handful of books
1: great um,
3: quality of a quantity yeah. yet we absolutely yeah. echo that here at the two
1: in the orders and i think gathering there your, your one piece of advice is just be professional isn't it it's it's yes. it's put yourself up there on the same pedestal as these traditionally published authors don't differentiate yourself from them and um really just make sure your product is as good as theirs is
3: take your time doing it don't don't yeah. rush you know just uh, take, yeah, yeah. Put, put put the quality out there and and polish every detail.
0: Amazing. Love it. Thank you so much, Laurie. I think um, love it. Yeah, com- love it. combined, you and Matt have been. An unbelievable episode. I mean, the the insights and the, um, the information that's been shared today, I think, will be so well received by our listeners. So, Laurie, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the seven questions. And if you could just remind our problem. listeners again where they can find you, your website. Uh,
3: it's uh, laurieholmes.com and uh yeah we, i'm on amazon as well and um then there's our shopify store which will be linked into my um website um and just from there amazing. really
1: thank you so much amazing laurie thanks and thanks again to matt that's just been a wonderful hour spent uh, in the company of the homses
3: <laughs> thank you very much
0: It's another show david but what was nice is obviously we've had a wonderful married couple matt and laurie on the show um but mm-hmm. it also shows that probably to many people you and i are like an old married couple what do you think
1: yeah definitely i feel like a scorned wife every time you sing a fucking mailbag song that's what i feel like i think why did i marry this guy that's all right every time the mailbag comes around like, why did i marry this guy I got to get into bed with so many other in the orders,
0: and and the best thing is, is as I am singing those songs, I'm there thinking, "You lucky bastard, David." <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, yes, well then we are an all married couple. Yeah, what a show! Um, two brilliant yeah. guests, and um, what uh, what an incredible like whole story. The way they work together, the the work they're doing, it's just brilliant. I think this was a really eye opening
1: episode yeah and and it's not the first sort of husband and wife duo we've come across i mean we had quite uh, quayvon uh, quayvon on as a guest um uh-huh. maybe 10 or 15 shows ago and he calls his wife super wife because she does an awful lot of the frills around his in the order business and i've heard that's they're, they're not the only two married couples and i think you discussed with me at some point as well that um you would like self-involved in your business in some way. And Kerry's involved in mine, my, mm-hmm. my wife, she does an awful lot of my uh, graphics and stuff like that. So it goes to show that an indie order business can be so successful that it can run a whole house and not just necessarily mm-hmm. one person's um, wage to that um, structure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it, 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 and, and it, it evolves in the order in an, an array of skills and an array of creative uh, input like Matt, brings to Laurie's separate um, skill set, So yeah, yeah, great to have them on. Really enjoyed that last hour in, in the company of the Holmeses. Um,
0: but um, yeah, big thank you to them for joining us on the show. Big thank Absolutely. you um, to uh, Stephanie for sending in a mailbag question. Um, if people want to join us for the seven questions, they can find the form on Facebook, on Instagram, on our website, www2 uk. Um And yes, send questions in uh, via our Facebook group too. David, before I let you go, what are you doing for the
1: next seven days? It's that countdown time of, of launch. So it will be getting marketing materials together and, um, you know, teasing out on social media and, and that type of thing. And then just counting all those pre-sales until they turn into uh, actual sales. <laughs> Uh, and the day will be upon me, but it's uh two weeks from today, so yeah, I'll, I'll be spending the next two weeks teasing it out and marketing it out, um, and then I will jump on to the next book in the series. Uh, what about you, Robert?
0: Um, I'm just writing. I think um I'm approaching probably near nearish the halfway point of the book. Um, oh, nice. And this has been a nice journey, creative, creatively, like the different sort of tone of pace of of where I have to drop things in. So it's getting to the sort of the midway yeah. point where things are gonna start ramping up, which is obviously something I always get excited about. So uh, yeah, I think I'll just be writing uh, for the next seven days
1: until I speak to you again, David. Absolutely, um, cool. Yeah, so listen, guys, we don't say this enough. Thank you so much for listening. As Robert mentioned mm-hmm. earlier on in the show, the platform is growing and growing and rob and i aren't selling anything here we're giving up our time to help out the in the author community as a thank you for them helping us out as we were up and coming authors so do get involved with two in the authors on facebook or visit the website that rob said thank you so much for listening to episode 43 <laughs> Adam, 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 Adam,
2: Adam, Adam, to Adam, Adam,